Welcome to the YOT Project, a podcast that helps you define and create success on your own terms. Each week, we and our inspiring guests share stories, personal and professional challenges, and lessons learned to help you move closer to the best version of yourself. Let's dive in. Welcome to the YOT Project's Women Founders Series, where we talk about inspiring women founders, about the highs and lows of building a company, and the mindset you need to create your own success story. Today, we welcome Lalita Wemel. If you're in tech scene in Asia, you may have known or at least seen her in lots of community events, especially if it's organized by tech stars. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi, Nala. Hi, Nat. Thank you for joining the show. So um, Lalita has been an instrumental part in building startup community in Southeast Asia. In her previous role as a global director of engagement and community at Techstars. Since you're not there anymore, um, surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can you catch us up on what are you doing now after eight years? Eight years, right? Of being at Techstars. Eight years, yeah. I think that answers the question as to why... Intent, I'm only 20. I think eight years really answers why I'm not there anymore. It's just, you know, (laughs) it's an end of a chapter, a beautiful, rich, wonderful chapter. And yeah, honestly, when I decided to leave in January, I had no plans to go anywhere. So it was really a break. It was a break to reset and rethink where I wanted to start writing my next chapter. We've started the book metaphor. We're going to keep the book metaphor. (laughs) And seven months later, fast forward, I'm currently in Abu Dhabi. I'm helping build, design, and lead a program for early stage startups alongside uh, Techstars a little bit, (laughs) a lot, (laughs) and Hub71, which is an agency in uh, the United Arab Emirates that focuses on developing the tech ecosystem here. So it's the best of both worlds. I get to come back and work with some amazing people that I love. And I also get to explore a new ecosystem. But outside of that, before I even landed in Abu Dhabi, my love was actually in experience design. And I started a company with my best friend, Farah, and um, our other best friend, her husband, Dazrik, <laughs> called Oh, Austin. I didn't know it was Farah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's why she, you're you're so frequently uh, on her Instagram story. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm both her work wife and and her real life wife. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so between both of those things, it's keeping me really busy and allowing me to explore a lot of passions that I want to see if you know they they really are going to be the highlights of what I want to do for the next 10, 20, 30 years. One thing I get from talking to you just now is that definitely you're not a Gen Z. And maybe you are a millennial. Maybe, may, just maybe mean? you are a millennial. What do you mean you maybe, Nat? Of course because, I am. No, but what do you mean by not Gen Z? It's hard to find a millennial to stick with a job for eight years. There has oh, got God. to be something that made you stay that long. Please let me know what your secret was or what was the secret (laughs) that Techstars had to keep you that long. I I, I was definitely very millennial about my jobs prior to Techstars. I 
really flopped around a lot. Honestly, the the thing that really made a difference was so my first job um during and out of university was with Apple. And I loved that job. I loved that job almost this more than I loved university. It was just the best people, the best work. You could see, you know, the impact that you were having on people because you were really helping them learn whether it was their devices or whether I was running a workshop for like 60 year olds. It was it was so cute and it was so much joy. And when I left that job, because I came back to Malaysia, I was so adamant that any job I had as an adult had to be as fun and as meaningful as the first job I had during university. Because if I could pull that off, you know, as a part-time gig while I was studying and still having the time of my life, I just, there was no world in which I couldn't fathom that that couldn't apply to every job I had after. Hmm. And so I tried my hand at management consulting, hated it, couldn't last more than a year and a half. Um, I went into media and production I loved that, but again, not really sustainable. And then, yeah, I a, a year after that, I had the opportunity to meet the folks at Techstars. We connected. And for a little bit of context, my parents are entrepreneurs. So I've always been part of the entrepreneur scene in Malaysia. So really, it's as much as, you know, I've had a few job experiences out of uni, I was their unpaid labor for many, many years before that, <laughs> learning the ins and outs of, you know, business and design and, and all that stuff that you don't really teach yourself until you have to. And I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to do that. So when the door came a knocking and, and Techstars was opening its footprint in Asia, the stars really aligned and all of these different experiences from teaching and tech and startup and production and communication all aligned with the role that they needed me for, which was actually a very generalist role. There was not one definition of it. You know, you needed to be operations, you needed to be communications, you needed to be the life of the party, but you also needed to sit at like executive meetings. So it was many, many hats. And I think that was the reason I ended up staying for so long is because the learning curve of it was so high. I was learning so much. I was getting to do it with such exceptional people. And I got to build things that I saw the impact of like immediately in front of my eyes. It wasn't a uh, imaginative thing. The impact of it was tangible. It was in front of me. And I got to do it with great people. And really, the people is what make make you stick around for as long as you do in whatever it is. Totally agreed. It sounds like um, you almost were an entrepreneur with provided resources. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I would say, yes, very true. And the... Right? Techstars APEC experience as well, very specifically, was that, right? We were a small team. We were left alone outside of the U.S. And they were like, here's here's your PL. You figure it out. You do what you need to do. And it was like running our own little startup with a, a bunch of great people, with a bunch of cool impact that you had to hit mm -hmm. for many, many, many years. And yeah, it was it was the best party I've ever I've ever been in charge of. <laughs> 
I love it. Was there a way, like looking back, was there a way you could have foreseen yourself to love this job as much when you were about to join them or were you when you were deciding to join them? I didn't foresee myself staying at it for so long. I think that's the difference. I definitely knew I would have a good time because I, I met mm. the team before and I was actually a participant at a program that they were doing. That's how I met them. So I had gone through what they were trying to do with the world. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm having a great time. I'm such a skeptic when it comes to entrepreneurship programs, because sometimes I feel like, you know, you, you do it to do it. You, the, whatever you're teaching me. Anyway, that's, that's, a, that's a separate podcast. The point that I was trying to make is I really felt as a participant, I was learning so much. And if I was having this much fun as a participant, I can't imagine how cool it must be to be, to be able to do this on a grander scale. And we really connected as people, as humans, as friends, um, the team and I. So when the time came for me to actually do this, I foresaw that it would be a great time and I would learn a bunch of cool things. I did not foresee staying there for as long as I did. Eight years, it was like a decade. Yeah. <laughs> That's like someone's It's life. almost unheard of in like this generation of people. I know. So so when I heard that you left, I'm like, when, when we were talking in November, right? And then I was yeah. like, oh, you're going to leave? <laughs> like, no, you can't leave because you belong yeah. here. Like everything, every, because I organized startup weekends, right? So like yeah. every um, frameworks, every slides, everything, it has Lolita footprint on it. Like it's, <laughs> it's all created by Lolita. You just know Oh, that. you basically copied her work and yeah. used it? Yeah, I just, I just I gave it to them two copies. She didn't do it. Just duplicate, change the topic, and change the details. Oh my God, that's Nala's secret to her business. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to have enabled such great business leaders. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I, you know, you are not the first person to say that, right? When I was sharing that idea or like telling people the news leading up to me leaving and even after when I was like, oh, by the way, I've left, my, the immediate response that I would always get is, what? Why? <laughs> because And, you know, on, on the outside and on the highlight reel of life on social media, everything looks very great and purposefully, right? Like that's what you share and that's how you do it. And um, there are definitely moments that I've shared more vulnerable things on socials, but for all intents and purposes, that's what you see in terms of the job, right? It's great. I get to do these things. I'm working with this amazing company and all of that. And none of that is not true today. It's just that my learning curve really hit a ceiling at a certain point and I could continue the job and there was nothing wrong with it. Nobody was, you know, trying to get rid of me, but I wouldn't have been as happy as I was that those first eight years because I, it was just, it, it was starting to become a repetitive cycle for me. Mm. Like I just mm. didn't feel like I was growing anymore and there wasn't really another path for me to go to in that role at that time to do anything else. And the thought of taking a break and then having to come back to it, it just didn't excite me. So with no plan, no idea what I was going to do next, it was more important for me to leave and take a step back and actually 
evaluate whether, you know, I was doing the last eight years because I was happy to do it and it was ex exactly the path I wanted to grow or I was doing it because I was just, you know, enamored by the joy of what I was doing and it was something that was stable and it was something I was good at doing. So I needed to take a break. I, I couldn't be tied to come back to it because then I felt the reflection and, and the thoughts of what I wanted to do next wouldn't be as effective, I guess. Like I would still know that there was something waiting for me to come back. So now you're working in Abu Dhabi and also starting your um, new business. Um, how yeah. <laughs> did it take you? Like did you, you took a sabbatical um, before you started yeah. this thing, right? How long was it? Yeah, I I really did my eat, pray, love, you know, really reset my whole life. <laughs> Tell I, us more about what you did. How did you spend your sabbatical? I really tried to do nothing. <laughs> that was what I did. I reconnected with a lot of people in my life that work really took me away from you know a lot of my friends had kids and I didn't really get to spend a lot of time with them and I love being an aunt it's like one of the greatest joys so I got to do a lot of that I got to reconnect a lot um I traveled a little bit I reassessed a lot of relationships in my life and it was just it was just a time to take stock of what was happening and what I wanted to continue to invest in as a person, not as like a business or a company or anything professional. It was just as a person, what was giving me energy and what was taking energy from me. And if I'm getting rid of the biggest stability in my life, my job, mm. what else do I need to take stock of so that when I start a new chapter, I feel refreshed and I feel energized and I'm not a shell of the person that I could be. So that's really what I tried to do during my sabbatical. It was hard as an Asian yeah. daughter, you know, <laughs> any day that I'm like not being productive, I'm like, oh my God, it's a wasted day. Yeah, I was going to so, ask, just like coming from a very, you know, active, productive, Oh my God, um, you know so hard Nala. people person and then you're going from like in this transition period of like oh I'm going to do nothing and just going to be an aunt and yeah. eat pizza. it didn't like, work out did you have <laughs> a hard time adjusting I did it I'm saying now I did and it did not work out because I did like the oh okay we'll sleep and do nothing for a month and a half and then literally at the two month mark I was facilitating a startup weekend. I was hosting founder breakfast clubs. I was starting to talk to Farah about, okay, I think I'm ready. We can start slowly building a business. <laughs> okay, so it did not I was getting out. so <laughs> antsy. But, but I will say, the thing that I think I did well is that I didn't rush into anything. And even the things I was doing was more to keep me busy and active and test out a lot of things quickly to see if this is something I like. Okay, no. Is this something I like? Yes, let's do more of this. And it it, it gave me a lot of time to give back because I, I didn't have anything else on. And people that needed help, whether it was programs or mentorship or support or an ear or brainstorming, I just had so much more of that time to mm. do and to give. And I was happy to do and to give because there was nothing else for me to do. Yeah, I think that's and it, and it felt productive, but 
yeah. it wasn't burdensome. Yeah, um, I think that's a really interesting concept because we talk about taking sabbatical, taking breaks, and we think about you know lying as a vegetable in our bed and watching movies, right? But as that's a- Nala's version of sabbatical, yeah. by the way. <laughs> it's a no, but- great version. I ten um, out of ten. Just <laughs> eat, no pray and love. Just eat. <laughs> yeah, just eat. I'm a foodie. What can I say? But actually, taking a break sometimes means giving back mean doing yeah. something that you feel good about yourself meaning doing some self discovery so if you're if you're looking for a break and you really feel burned out um maybe look for something that sort of re-energize you and recharge you yes. whatever it could be active too right yes and i think bringing up burnout everybody deals with it differently you know it, it sometimes it's physical and you really need to take care of your health Sometimes it's mental, and you just need a break and to be a vegetable. Sometimes it's um, emotional, and you really need to find a spark that like helps you reset those emotions, right? And and your your health as as a person, whether you're a founder or not, is about that. It's about taking stock every day to make sure that you're healthy in not just your physical health, but your mental health, your emotional health, your personal health, like your relationship health, all of those things matter and they all make you a full person. And mm-hmm. I think for me, I my, my family is very, you know, like health conscious, um, my dad. <laughs> and so the, the health bit in terms of physical health, I was always very mindful of, but everything else, like your emotional, your uh, personal, your mental capacity, that, that for me was what was taking a toll. And mm-hmm. that was what I needed to reset. And for me, the way I reset is not just by being alone. I definitely took moments to do that. But for me, my energy comes from uh, getting to spend time with people I love, right? Like that that fills my cup. So being able to do that in the time of my sabbatical helped me reset my priorities. It helped me talk about the things mm-hmm. that I needed to get off my chest. And so being an aunt and being present in the lives of people that you know wanted to hang out and people who I deeply care about and I wanted to spend time with all of those things were very energizing for me so Mm -hmm. it wasn't tiring and it didn't take away from my rest it was just a different version of rest if you're taking a sabbatical or trying to figure out life it's worth taking a little step back and reflect with yourself what really is it that you need um, is it mental um, rest? Is it physical rest? Like, and what Absolutely. what kind of activity um, would fill your cup? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think with, you know, the term burnout or, or resting or whatever, there's a lot of um, conversations and, and stereotypes about how you rest, right? Whether it's a lot of traveling and, and whatnot. And I think exactly to your point, Nala, Everybody needs to figure out their own version of that reset and you shouldn't feel that you fit into any one box. You can take as much from one box as you want from another until you feel like you're the best version of yourself again. Mm. And that, that's, that's the winning of burnout, right? It's like if you do it right, then you end up being the best version of yourself again. I'm curious to know how you found your path to wanting to build your own company 
because that's yeah. a whole new different ball game than working for other people, right? Was it something that you've always wanted to do, or did you stumble into it as you take your time to reflect during the sabbatical? Before I answer, why why did you become a founder, Nat? Like, what pushed you? <laughs> oh, I definitely don't want to be a founder. That's nothing. That's <laughs> not what I want to do. First, <laughs> I talk about when I when I first met her, and we talk about like, oh, career. What do you want to do? The first thing she said is like, "I'm not a founder. I want to work uh-huh. in. A, I want stability, yeah. and yeah. I can yeah. take risk." Yeah, but here she is. <laughs> it's the last thing I want to do. So my dad was an entrepreneur. We had a business, family business, and it failed. So we had a lot of financial difficulties growing up. And I think that scared me a lot. So growing up, I was always, okay, I'm going to be an employee. Let's go take my MBA so I can be a glorified employee and get paid more. And who knows what, like after my my current sabbatical, and now I feel like this is something that I want to work on. And I'm still a little bit scared of jumping towards it. But but I know that it's something that makes me excited. And when I think about working on it full time, I can't sleep for five days. That's how I kind of feel like I need to do it. But it's it's not something that I ever wanted to. I feel the exact same way. Like my parents were entrepreneurs. They did their thing. And granted, there was some stability in it, but it really rocked my boat, like how much they worked and how difficult it was. And they went into a business where what they were doing, it was early days. So there was so much education that they needed to do to the market before what they were doing took off. And that took so long. And like you, I was very much... I was not growing up going, oh my God, I can't wait to be an entrepreneur. I was like, no, thank you. I went as far away as possible from entrepreneurship when I came back, which is why I went into management consultancy because I was like, I don't want to go into this field. I don't want to go into this community. I don't want to be known as, you know, so-and-so like daughter. um, And I don't want to be a founder. There's nothing I'm passionate about enough that I feel I could pour my heart and soul into that would justify the time and blood and sweat and tears and energy and money you know it just it didn't make sense for me at the time and honestly even after I joined Techstars I still had no interest I was like yeah it's cool and I'm happy that I am a great teacher and I'm able to like teach and facilitate great connections and you know that's that's my path that's what I do I'm a great connector that's what I do but then you get an itch and then there's something that happens. And, and then like, there's something that you really want to work on, right? There's something that needs to yes. exist in this world and you need to do it. Yes. Tell, tell us about your and itch. It's more like, and it's more like, you know, you you work for people a lot and a lot and a lot. And sometimes you luck out and you get to work with great people and you don't have to go through the stresses of annoying management or anything like that. But at a certain point, you're just like, you know what? I would love to answer to me. Like the person that I want to answer to is me. And I want to be able to do things on my time and for me and by me and by my rules. And that's a niche that starts. And you're like, oh, how exciting would that be? How exciting would it be for me to be able to grow my own culture and to be able to nurture people and do things, you know, in in my own life? Farah and I had always talked about wanting to start something. We absolutely love working together. 
And it's very hard, I would say, when you're starting a business with with somebody else to find a co-founder that you're able to have difficult conversations with, because that's the hardest part. It's really easy to sail smoothly and when nothing is challenging or difficult, but the moment something becomes hard or you need to talk about money or anything like that, sudden you need to have someone that you are you are comfortable enough and confident enough that the friendship is first, but the conversation is important and you have them and they're separate. And like a lot of teams fail because of, you know, co-founder issues. And so for us, we were like, you know what? We, we found, we found great co-founders, but what do we want to do? What do we love? Like what, where, where does the, the fact that we have, you know, a great partnership go. And to be honest, we're still figuring it out, right? We know that the core of what we love to do is experience design. We love taking problems apart and solving them through the perspective of the, the participant, the consumer, whoever is the end person. And I think it's very easy to brush it under the rug and say, yeah, that's just, you know, it's program design, it's event design, it's execution, whatever. But I think there's a very different feeling and memories and belonging that gets set when you solve a problem through the lens of experience design versus just executing something as an event. And so that's the niche that we're trying to figure out. That's what we're iterating every day to see what sets in. We just wrapped up a program with the UN that focused on female founders and that was amazing. We were just doing some work with the Singapore government and that was amazing. And now I'm here and I'm here as an individual, but it's also, you know, everything leads back to the work that I would love to do at Optin. And so it's more every day is a learning curve and we're doing little projects to figure out how that niche and how that that startup that we want to build is going to move forward because it's every every day is a product market fit test cycle basically <laughs> and it's to- totally different ball game than working um in a company right yes and yeah. to Nat's point stability is so important right like it's hard to be creative or want to build something when you're worried about you know Oh, how you're going to pay rent yeah, or how you're going to pay your bills, how you're going to support yourself. And there's nothing wrong with finding stability in other things while you are building the thing that you want to build. Everybody's process is different. Everybody's timeline is different. Everybody's um, like the, the, the scope of which you do these things are different for everyone. And there's no right or wrong mm-hmm. and there should be no shame in having that stability while you're doing it, there's the hustle is you're so over. Like don't hustle, build a soft life, do the thing that you want to do and find joy in what you're doing. Like I am so over the hustle. (laughs) I know. And it's like impossible. It's impossible for you to think possibilities, to think creativity, to think, you know, even optimistically about your business. If you're, you know, don't know how you're going to get the next bill. Right. Yeah, I still believe that the best setting for an entrepreneur is to come from a well-off family, and I think it's that's (laughs) true in that because 
or at least you have some kind of financial freedom. Otherwise, you can't just sit yeah. around, play around with your ideas, experiment with it. Like yes. you need to get shit done to get the bills paid. That's what normal people do, yeah. right? So, I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. Get your bills paid and work on your passion project as well. And hopefully, it'll turn into something meaningful. Exactly. And I think we should shout about that so much more. You know, like do the thing that you want to do, but you know, you can do it full time when you feel like you have the capacity to do it full time. Yeah. No one's asking you to quit and like struggle and do that because it's you are going to hit a roadblock more than you would need to. It mm. will take you longer if you if you are in a bad place. Right, like if yes. if it's harder for you to come out of it to be creative and to support your team and to be a leader, you can't do that if you're struggling. So, finding mini projects, supporting what you're doing, creating that stability, that security, so that you're at a your your mind is at peace to be inspired and creative and strategic and and to yeah. hustle when you need to, but it's not a hustle every day where it's eating at you. And leading to burnout so much faster. Yeah, because the job as my takeaway <laughs> is, is to see, you know, the overview, right, and to see the vision of where we're going next. And yeah, if we're still worrying about these little things. Um, I think it's impo- impossible for us to move forward. And I think there's a lot of um stigma towards you know working part time as a founder, as like, oh, you're not hustling, you're not, you know. Um, going all in to to do this, and how is it going to be successful? But given um age and responsibility, um, it's yep. really unrealistic um to expect people to just go all in on new idea, um, and not not yeah. Have- how do you actually make that transition from a full time job to a consulting person, like from a full time job to a founder or whatever yeah. it is that you want to do on yeah. the side? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's really how you're dividing your time. When I was doing my full-time role at Techstars, I definitely didn't have the capacity for it. And for me, it was, we want to do something. I need to do this because right now I just don't have the mental space to take it on. I'm going to take a break and then I'm going to come back and figure out what we want to do next. But to answer your question, like if they don't have the capacity to take that break, then I would say the first thing is evaluate what it is that you want to do. If that is something that you want to do, you need to take a step back, no matter how busy you are, and sit down and be like, okay, cool. This is this is the thing I want to do, and these are the questions I have on on how to get there. And you have to be able to, even if it's one day a week, like two hours on a weekend, where you're putting time aside to be like. Okay, cool. This is a person I'm reaching out to, so I can have a conversation with them, so that I can learn a little bit more about this thing and put that knowledge aside for this side project. You have to be able to do that because if you're working a full time job, but your passion is to be a founder, the juggling of that time is unfortunately the thing that you want to do. No one's telling you to be a founder if you don't want to be right. You still have the stability of your job. You can absolutely continue to do that and enjoy that and find joy in other things. But if the thing that is bringing you joy is this side hustle, and it's the thing that you want to grow, then putting time aside that makes sense for you to do, whether it's every day or 
a couple hours a week or it's one particular day of the weekend will be really important. And in all of my years, time blocking has always been the most important thing, like realistic time blocking, you know, you don't say like 20 minutes for this, 20 minutes for this, like 20 minutes goes by like that, right? And to meaningfully do something, you need a good like two, three hour block so that you have the mental capacity to really move, shift your brain from whatever task that you are doing to the task at hand, be able to find a good flow. And then when you're in a good flow state, you do it so quickly. But if you're hopping around, it's hard. So my biggest tip would be to realistically find a good amount of time that you're able to really sit down and be in it. Don't be pressured to do something every day, like a little bit every day, um, where it's burning you out more than it's inspiring you. But if it, but if a check-in is something that's helpful to you as a person, checking in on your thing every day is good. So you're creating your to-do list and then you have a good amount of time to do it. Because if you have a, a full-time job but you still want to build the thing, you have to come to the reality that the full-time job is the thing that's paying you and doing the thing. You got to do the job. So whatever time you want to find to do this other thing, you have to find outside of it. And it has to be able to work for your schedule. I love it. Thank you so much. I think that can be applied to me too. <laughs> yeah. And the reason is realistic. I'm blocking. Realistic. Yeah, I, I tend to always realistic time the time that it takes to do certain things. I love how you said it takes energy and time to get into the flow and also to switch from one thing to another. Because usually when we do time blocking, we do like in slot, um, an hour slot, right? It's really hard to to just jump from one project to another, especially if you're playing different roles um, in those projects. Um, it takes so much time to, to just put on another hat. So I love it that you block like two, three hours. And the thing is when you block a big chunk, right? and you're able to switch, and then you get into a state of flow, what you do in that state of flow is so much more than you would do in like that 20 minute, 30 minute block that you would have because you're struggling to switch your brain. And by the time you do, there's not enough time to do anything else at all. So I would say, yeah, realistic time blocking, game changer. But also on the point of like productivity, there's such a intense like um environment of productivity everybody's telling you like you know do this do this do this and then you'll be the most productive person I wake up at 4 a.m I do these 20 things before I even start my day I get exhausted listening to things like that and I you know Nat those, similarly, those successful one, one point. morning routine right <laughs> yeah CEO morning successful people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They also have help doing a bunch of things that you know generally you wouldn't I need to do. Right. Please remember that as well. But on the second point is find what works best for you. Nat, I also tried to be a morning person. Like many, many times I've tried. I have failed because I'm not a morning person. I hate waking up early in the morning. I love it when I do I was just telling somebody yesterday I will happily stay up until the sun rises then have to wake up for the sun rising <laughs> yet you tried yet you and tried. 
and I try and it's bad because you feel so lethargic when, Mm. and this is just for people that aren't morning people, right? And you're trying to be a morning person. But what I have found is I love the peace of the night. So I do a lot of work that's creative or productive or like note taking, whatever at night when I've like done everything, everything's at peace. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to take an hour and a half to get this done. And it, and it happens so much faster in that cycle than mm. it does if I'm trying to do it at 7, 8, 9 a.m. Mm. So I also say lean into what timing works best for you. There's no right or wrong with it, right? If waking up early and doing it before your day gets messy works for you, do that. If working and then cleaning up your day, having a break, and then doing something works better for you, do that. So there's there's no right or wrong way in terms of being productive. It's just what works best for you and taking the time for you to find out what that thing is. And if it if you try yeah. and it doesn't work, you need to adjust, not keep trying. <laughs> try something else. Find yeah. your product market fit of productivity. <laughs> That was a jab at me. Thank you, Lalita, <laughs> for the tip. I will take it and adjust my schedule going forward. Let me know and how I will it record goes. back if it works. <laughs> yes. I am super responsible for other people's demand. And so I feel like I need to get those done before my own thing. We can absolutely lean into that because I am textbook people pleaser. And when I started, I was so much more of a people pleaser. And oh boy, oh boy, did it affect me. Every little thing was challenging or you take it to heart. It affects you so deeply and you don't know how to say no. So number one, therapy helps. (laughs) Number two, having hard conversations is hard for a reason. But when you do and you have clarified things, It makes life so much simpler. And number three, no is a full sentence. You do not need a justification for it. I went through many, many years where I did not know how to say no. And so I was doing so much more than I needed to. I was not having like a healthy schedule of life because I just didn't know how to say no. And I was accommodating for a lot of other people's um, timing or life than I was for me. And this is on the professional front. It's not even touching the surface of like personal stuff. But within the professional scope of things, when you start to have anxiety, and there there are definitely years when I know that my anxiety skyrocketed 20 17, 2018, those were really hard years for me. And I was trying to figure out like, what is happening? Why is it happening? Number one, it was because I was taking on so many more things. But number two is because I was taking them on for my betterment than it was because we don't have enough resources. And being able to come out of that and having hard conversations, saying what's on my mind, Drawing that boundary was not easy. And I did it with a lot of great help, Um, not just from like the people around me, but 
like I had a I had a really great therapist that I was talking to about professional work related things and she helped create frameworks that worked for me to be able to have these hard conversations like how do you separate the friendship from the work and how do you have these difficult conversations in a pos- not positive but a kind manner that you are able to exit it heal and come back to it in a way that makes sense right um like a few years ago i w- i had a podcast with oko as well and it was really wonderful and we were talking about like mental health and all that good stuff and at a certain point it was too much for me like i couldn't be that vulnerable um on on like socials and and because every episode we were diving deeper and deeper and deeper and at a certain point i was like it's exhausting me more than it's helping me or or helping the episode and we had to have a really hard conversation about it right to be like i don't know if i want to continue this let's take a break because to me and to the both of us the friendship how we were working together all of those things were so much more important than that but to even surface that conversation was so hard and to draw that boundary for myself whether he wanted it or not was so hard and yeah at, at the end of the day it all worked out and time mattered and time healed but when you draw a boundary you must go into it knowing that the outcome may not be what you want it to be but the boundary that you're drawing for yourself it it will make you feel better and that that is the goal that you have to go into it with that the person that you're drawing this for is yourself you are doing it for you it is what is going to make you happiest it's what's going to make you feel safest it's what's going to make your life clearer and easier and however the rest of it turns out is it's actually out of your hands and you have to deal with whatever happens and however it turns out that was the biggest challenge for me to learn how to draw those boundaries and realize like my worth is not tied into the work or anything else apart from who i am and being okay with that 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 was my biggest challenge and biggest lesson and the biggest thing i try to continue to practice on a daily basis yeah it's okay to be a people pleaser but it's more important to be a people pleaser and stopping yourself when something is not making you happy mm. and 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 recognizing it and then doing something about it yeah i think it's it's all about um learning about yourself and prioritizing yourself and have that courage to stand up for yourself oh i love that so much so come to our last question lalita are there anything else you would like to tell your younger self yes and you literally said it right before you asked the question and it's very much about self-worth you only see yourself in the light that you let yourself be seen there's a very big difference between confidence and self-love you can be a confident person that doesn't love yourself at all and so you attract things that that person thinks that they deserve and the most important thing that you can do for yourself is create a world where you love yourself and you are doing things in favor of yourself and you're prioritizing yourself and you are creating security in that i think growing up 
I had a lot of insecurity about that in terms of like, you know, who my friends were or like where, where I felt worthy. And that seeps into a lot of how you are growing up. You can be confident, but you may have a lot of work to do in terms of finding yourself worthy and loving yourself and making sure the love that comes into your life, the care and the people that come into your life are of the same degree of the love that you're giving yourself. So it's a work in progress. It's something you continue to do. But the thing that I would tell my younger self is she is very much worth it, that she should not for a second of her life think that she isn't worth all of the love that she gives to everybody around her. That's so beautiful. <laughs> it gives me shrill. I know, me too. <laughs> That's why I didn't say anything. I'm like, oh my God, how should yeah. I wrap this? <laughs> I'm internalizing it. I'm like feeling the energy like, oh. coming through Zoom. <laughs> no, it's like I'm in therapy. <laughs> Are you a yoga teacher? I feel like I'm at the end of my yoga session and like they're giving me this positive vibe <laughs> sentences before I leave and like come no, my day. No. <laughs> Oh my God, thank you so no, much. No, it's just, it's up. a lot of heartbreak. It's a lot wow. of work. It's, you know, <laughs> a lot of tears that have gone into going. Yeah, thank you so much, Lolita, for your time. I think today we learned so much. It has been a very healing talk for me. Um, and I'm sure Aww. for Renette and all the listeners as well, I feel so much love that exudes from you um, through the screen, whether it's your self-love, love that you would like to contribute to other people to make impact and we learn so much about self-management that we don't need to stick to any stereotypes about taking break learning about who you are you figure out your own terms of taking breaks and also learn to love and respect yourself enough to know what you deserve that's a beautiful wrap-up thank you for having me ladies If this episode resonates with you, we'd like to hear your stories. Talk to us at the YOT Project on Instagram and LinkedIn.